Thank you, Jake. Well, that's a tough, tough act to follow, uh, but really excited about this year's book study. Women, we have something for you very similar in the month of February. Men, we're trying to get 100 men and sign up today, get the book in hand. It's really just a, it's a beginning point to deepening relationship. And if you're coming to church without connecting with other people, it's not really church. So take a step of faith in the year ahead and connect with guys. I know it's early. For some, it's late. I know it means moving some things around. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, today, we have this interesting passage from, this, from the story of Elisha and this king, and he shoots an arrow, and what in the world do we have to make of it? We have a message today called Don't Stop Fighting, and here at the beginning of the year, God wants to encounter us, challenge us, and call us deeper into the fight of faith. Uh, will you bow your heads and we'll say a prayer to begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for these people gathered. We thank you for those that have been with us for some time and for, for guests, for people that are just checking it out here, Lord, or checking the faith out. We pray that you would speak clearly through me to each and all of us, that we would encounter you again here at the start of a new year. God, we want to encounter you. We want to be drawn further into a life of loving you. And all God's people said, amen. 2 Kings 13, verse 14 through 20. The title today is Don't Stop Fighting. Don't Stop Fighting. Look to your left or right. Say to the person on your left or right, just look them in the eyes. Say those three words. Don't Stop Fighting. Look at them. Yeah, that's, that does not sound very powerful. You sound very reserved. Don't Stop Fighting. Yes, there we go. Yep. I saw you. Thank you. Don't stop fighting. When I was in college, I played football for the mighty, powerful Whitworth College Pirates. It was our final game of the year in 1995. We had not won a home game in two years on our home field. But this was going to be different. The night before the final game, it snowed about a foot into the Spokane Pine Bowl. And then in the morning of the game against Simon Fraser University, the temperature rose to the low 40s. It was sludge and slush everywhere. The mud was up to our ankles and into our shins. They had reseeded the field uh, in the beginning of the summer, and it was coming up in huge swaths. I literally can't describe the muddiest, most ridiculous football game in history and this really interesting thing happened to me. I got into the battle as a receiver. We're trying to win this game to go three and six. That was victory for us. And the pursuit here got very confusing because near the end of the game, some things had happened. I'll tell you more later. I was like discombobulated. And everyone around me was almost like they were playing not to lose, and I was still playing to win. I thought we were down by a couple of points. I thought it was the fourth quarter. It was the fourth quarter. I thought we had several minutes left. And I couldn't understand why everyone around me was almost sleepwalking. The quarterback wouldn't hike the ball till you know, the last second on the play clock. And everyone was just sauntering around. I was like, don't you guys care that we're going to lose again? And the difference between two and seven and three and six was huge in my mind there in 1995. But when I was playing to win and everyone else was playing not to lose, it was driving me insane. Now, it turns out I was wrong. Yeah, that big scoreboard in the corner, I was reading it wrong. It was a tough game for me. I'll come back to it later. But there is a difference between playing not to lose and fighting to win. 
And as we start 2019, we're going to be back into our Romans study next week. There's just just a one-off message, a few moments to encourage you as a church, don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. You've got something to learn today, whether this is you're a visitor in the, in the room or you're listening to this later. God wants to speak to you and encourage you not to stop with what he's called you to do. Now, the context of this story in 2 Kings is very interesting. The nation of Israel had departed from God's ways. Generations of kings, had, they departed this, this fighting to win. They departed from like pursuing God's best life and they'd accommodated a culture and as such, God had given them over to the enemies of their land. Now, the king here, Joash, comes to see the prophet to, to, to get an extra dose of strength. And we're going to talk about Joash because he, he really only kind of appears obedience. He's not actually trying to, to, to rend his heart to strength from God. But it's interesting that the enemy, at this time of Syria, the enemies are at the gate and Israel is thinking that God's got to do something new. God's got to enable them to win like God had done so many times in Israel's past. And over and over in scriptures, we're reminded that God loves to work through his power, not ours. That, that, that the, the battle is always to, to God's power, not our power. And so when Joash the king comes to Elisha the prophet and saying, hey, can you help a brother out? He's missing the point because over and over and over again in the scriptures, the battle belongs not to the strongest, but to those that show up and fight believing that God is powerful. Remember what David said to the giant Goliath. He says, all those gathered here on the battlefield will know that it's not by sword or spear that the the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you all into our hands. See, we think the battle is ours. And I don't know what battle you're facing this morning. Some of you are going back to school in a couple days. So it's like, tomorrow. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's a battle. Some of you, it's relational. Some of you, it's mental health. Some of you, it's someone you're raising or an elderly parent or it's financial, spiritual. I don't know what battle you're facing. Some of you are just really, really, really tired. And that's okay. But God is speaking to us through the prophet Elisha that the battle is ours and he just calls us to participate, that the victory becomes ours as we just continue to fight. We worship a God who gives participation trophies. And it's really, really, really important for us to remember that we don't earn any of the victory. We simply step into the fight that God wants to do in us and through us. I've been reading this book by a pastor named Erwin McManus called The Last Arrow, and the story of Elisha and the King Joash and shooting the arrow and beating the arrows has been intriguing to me. The context, again, is is this King Joash about 800 BC, so almost 3,000 years ago, is desperate for God to intervene, even though he has not been following God at all. Elisha gives him a chance to say, hey, yeah, do some things and God will continue to work through you. And the king settles for God's best. And when we settle for less than God's best, when we settle, we miss the calling that we're called to. And so today, we'll just look at this 2 Kings 13, two pieces, the God of ordinary obedience and the God of extraordinary faith are one. And we're called to not stop fighting and participating in his work for his glory. 
Let's look first, this point of your outline, the, the God of ordinary obedience. And I'm going to look at 2 Kings 13, verses 14 to 20. If you have your Bible, have it open. We'll bring it up behind me as well. Verse 14 of 2 Kings 13, this story, this intriguing story of Elisha and the king. Elisha came down sick. Not Elijah, he was the predecessor. Elisha came down sick. It was a sickness of which he would soon die. Even God's favorites, we all, our time will all come. And so he's getting ready to die. Jehoash, the king of Israel, paid him a visit. And when he saw him, the sick prophet, he wept openly saying, my father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel. Kind of an interesting greeting. What's interesting about this is the king knows enough about the faith to appear obedient. This same greeting, my father, my father, is what Elisha had greeted Elijah when Elijah went to heaven. And so this king knows enough to be appearing obedient. He's coming to the prophet because he wants God to do a miracle and to, to get you know, Israel out of jail free. And so he, he appears obedient. He has these very religious words that come out of his mouth. And church, I want to really challenge you in the room this morning that appearing obedient is the most dangerous form of following Jesus. Just appearing obedient is the most dangerous form of following Jesus. Because we're called to ordinary obedience that happens from the inside out. Not the appearance of obedience that happens from the outside in. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe to you who, who, who whitewash the exterior of the cup and you neglect the contents. How easy it is in the life of Christianity to start whitewashing the cup, to want to appear obedient, to want to appear humble, to want to appear like you're, you're, you're following the rules of religion. But what Christ calls us to is ordinary obedience. And that's really modeled in this Elisha story. Look at verses 15, 16, 17, still 2 Kings 13. We're just going to be working our way through this. Elisha the prophet, he told the king, he said, go get a bow and some arrows. And the king brought him the bow and arrows. And then he told the king, put your hand on the bow. And then he put his hand on the bow, and Elisha put his hand over the hand of the king. It's a very evocative scene. This old senior citizen, he's getting ready to die. The king grabs the bow and arrow. The prophet puts his hand on top of the king's hand, and then he gives him this instruction. Now open the east window where the enemy was literally at the gates. And the king opened it, and the prophet said, shoot, and the king shot. And, and then the prophet, he's like pumped. He's like, the arrow of God's salvation, exclaimed Elisha. The arrow of deliverance from Aram. You will do battle against Aram until there's nothing left. See, what God promises, if that we're obedient to him, that he's got our best interests in mind. So it's kind of interesting. This old man's getting ready to die. Like, this is the kind of like, not even a point, there's like a bonus point, but it's interesting to me. Like this old prophet Elisha just like, yeah, go get the bow and arrow that I just happen to have stashed in the corner, right? Like what's he doing with the bow and arrow? This man is like literally within hours of hospice care. I think there's something even in that. The weapons of our deliverance are never meant to be far from our hands. Man, I go through seasons like where I get busy and like, this gets really dangerous. I'm going to be vulnerable with you all. Where's my Bible? 
Oh, it's, been, it's been a couple days. You know, we were traveling. It's just, if, if you don't know where your Bible is, man, it's your tool of your deliverance. If it's been a while since you've been with a, a friend, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ who you can spill the beans to, man, that's your weapon of your deliverance. God is calling us not to these extraordinary feats of like being superhuman or appearing really obedient, just by ordinary obedience. And to model this, the prophet tells the king, get a, get a bow. I got one right there. Don't worry, you can use mine. Get an arrow. Open a window. Okay? Now, if you saw me shoot this in the first service, you would know right now you have nothing to worry about. This thing went like about two feet. So I'm going to do better because I had some of the kids tease me. But he, the king is like, all right, I'll do what you tell me to do. I don't, I, I'm scared. I'm nervous. The enemy's at the gate. But, but remember, the prophet's hand is on the king's hand. Window open, arrow shoots. It's much better than the first service. <laughs> kind of a bizarre scene. The window's open. The enemy's, you know, miles away, likely. What is one arrow going to do? It's kind of the point. The life of faith is not a sword and shield battle where you will win your way to Jesus and you will slay every dragon and you will become the hero or heroine of the journey and the tale. Now, the arrow out the window encompasses the act of faith that we show up in ordinary obedience to Christ in the scriptures, in prayer. And in many days, it feels like shooting arrows out the window. God, what are you doing with my child, my friend, my heart, my purity, my finances, their health, this church, the world? We're shooting arrows. And God's like, I've got this. I've got this. I'm not calling you to be expert archers that are somehow going to hit a target from 300 yards. No, no, just shoot. Just be ordinary. But do the things that I've told you to do. The Christian walk is not a mystery. God doesn't want to hide himself from you. He's wooing you back. He wants to encounter you in the scriptures and in the prayers and in the gathering of his people and in the commitment. Much, much, much of what's best about our faith is ordinary. And I love this, that the promise is like when we shoot the arrow of ordinary faith, it yields fruit. The prophet looks at him and he's pumped. He's like, the arrow of God's salvation. Whose salvation? It's God's salvation. At no point in this story is the king, the hero. But he followed what the prophet told him to do. And so... He's going to see some fruit. The arrow isn't of his strength. It's of God's salvation because salvation belongs to God, not us. Maybe the most radical thing you could do this year for your faith is simple obedience. Daily habits. Being in a real community where you're sharing yourself. Real accountability. Real worship. Real generosity. Real prayer. Real scripture. Ordinary and real, and trust God where the arrow will lie. Because what looks like the most glorious will come from simple obedience in your life. Simple obedience. And that's, that's what happens here when he just follows the instructions of the prophet. He'll have some victories. And in the life of faith, if you give God some, some obedience, some glory in your life, some recognition, you'll, you'll know some fruit 
But the warning through the king and the prophet is that if we don't give God our entire hearts in daily devotion, we'll miss the best life. The king doesn't finish well. He didn't, he didn't keep striking. We'll get to that. He missed the best part of the life that God intended for him. And I'm convinced, church, that if there's two fears, if there's a first fear and a second fear, the first fear that for many of us, why we don't believe that God shows up in ordinary obedience is because we feel we're just too ordinary. We don't feel like we're all that talented, Yes, other people have more talents and what God has given me really isn't, isn't all that much. And if you turn towards Matthew 25 in the parable of, of the bags of gold, Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30, you've heard this story, so it's okay to paraphrase. The master who's Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God is like. There's three servants, that's us. One's given five, one's given two, one's given one. Why is it different? I don't know, but that's the time where I say the scriptures are consistent with life because we are given different gifts. We're given different challenges. I have friends, some in this room, that have gone through extraordinary difficulties. I don't know why it's been harder for you. I don't. And if people excuse it away, it's not okay. Some of us just have easier journeys. One man is given five, one woman or man is given two, one woman or man is given one. The one with five invests, yields total of 10. The one with two invests, total of four. The important thing is not the, is not the aggregate, it's the investment. It's the participation. It's the calling to not stop fighting because the one acts in fear and doesn't invest. And Jesus would look on the servant and say, and through the words of the master, Take the one and give it to the one with 10 and kick them out where the outsiders will live. The interesting thing about that parable that we've heard, many of us have heard that over and over and over again, each one, five, two, one, each bag of gold in today's sum would be about a million dollars. Each bag was enough. Each bag is, is more than enough. And so we can miss at times the, the, very, the very thing that God has already given us because we're comparing it to what someone else has or we're wanting the two-bag. Man, I want the two-bag life. Or I have so much fear that God, that I'm going to somehow waste the gifts I've been given. It's all enough. And you, in Christ, as a New Testament church, you've been given enough. And so do not waste the gifts that he's already given. Active participation in ordinary obedience. I've got a question for you as you're starting the year. What is an act of faith in ordinary obedience that God wants to do in your life in 2019? What's an act of faith in ordinary obedience that God wants to do in your life in 2019? Some of you, you write that in. You can, you can answer that in your head. You can talk about that on the drive home or in a small group, but name it. What's just an act of faith and ordinary obedience that God has already called you to? You say, I know that God wants to do this in my life in 2019. So many of you know the story of this church. We started eight years ago, and you know, there's so much that's so good, but we're not done yet. 
Like Christmas Eve, we just had the biggest Christmas Eve service we had, which is interesting for only one reason. At the end of the Christmas Eve service, dozens of people in each service made new decisions to follow Jesus. That's amazing. And so as we, as a church staff, Church Start 2019, we have a couple of simple goals around discipleship, and we're launching Sunday school for adults to continue to learn about the scriptures and deeper spirit-filled prayer ministry and leadership development opportunities, like calling people into not just volunteering, but to be developed into the life of a disciple, building leaders, building disciples. God, give us more. God, give us more for your influence in just ordinary obedience by following what he's already given us. When I was a kid, I was a non-Christian church kid, and I'd sit in the back of the Sunday school room, and I always loved, though I wasn't following Jesus till I was 17 years old, I always loved the, the kind of stories and tales of, of the missionary Sundays. And they would, they would come back, and missionaries would kind of report on what they were doing. Our, our Baptist church had a lot of missionaries around the world, and then there was opportunities, and they would show us pictures, and a picture of Papua New Guinea. I just thought, man, that's... Man, that's, that's amazing. They would, they would put pictures like this. This is Papua New Guinea. Man, I, wa- I want to I run across that bridge. I want to dive in that river. I want to climb through it. Like, if faith was an adventure, man, I'd be in. I would be in. But the problem for so many non-believing people is they look at Christians and they say, you've lost your ordinary obedience You've lost the sense that God is doing new things in you because the way that we testify of a powerful God is when he works in our life. And so I would challenge you, the adventures of the faith are lived out in opportunities of ordinary obedience. Tomorrow, Monday, January 7th, Lord Jesus, how do I live out the faith in an ordinary way? And how can that be the new adventure that you're calling me to, the adventure of ordinary obedience? So the prophet tells the king, the king gets a second chance. The story is just dripping with grace because the scriptures are always about not our effort, but participating in what God has given us freely. And so there's this call of ordinary obedience. And then the rest of the story, it tells the story of the God of extraordinary faith extraordinary faith. And I know for some of you, you're like, wait, isn't the extraordinary faith kind of the first part, shooting an arrow? Stay with me. Because the God of ordinary obedience is really the God of extraordinary faith. Look at verse 18 and 19. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. And the king ran to the corner because this senior citizen, man, he was armed and loaded. He's got the bow. He's got the arrows. He says, king, grab the arrows. The king picked them up. The prophet said to the king, strike the ground. And the king struck the ground three times, and then he quit. And the holy man became angry with him. Why don't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would beat Aram until he was finished. As it is, you'll be defeated. You'll defeat him three times and three times only. And verse 20, Elisha dies. It's the end of the story. What's going on here? Scholars are a little divided. The king has shot an arrow through the window. Is he shooting arrows at the ground? Most would say, no, he's he's striking. They're different verbs. 
So he, he does the first four commands in verse 15, 16, 17. He does exactly what the prophet says. And then the prophet says, strike the ground. King's like, okay. Done. Check. Right, it's kind of a weird request. Hit it three times. Like, like he does it, but he doesn't actually do it. He, he doesn't actually believe that in doing the things that God has already given him, that God will somehow continue to move in his life. I think this is interesting, and I know this is annoying, so I'll stop. But for the sake of the illustration, the most extraordinary thing that God might be asking you to do this year is to keep striking, is to persevere, is to not give up. Like, we, we love the new call than the Papua New Guinea or the move across the country or the state or into a new job or a new relationship or whatever. But oftentimes in the scripture, God is asking us to persevere, to continue to do something big with what he's already put at our fingertips. Because when we're faithful in participating with what he's already given us, that's where the investment comes. That's the parable of the bags of gold. Man, it's not about the aggregate, it's about the investment. Will you believe in the year ahead that God wants to use what he's already given you to make an investment for his kingdom? I told you this book, The Last Era, has been kind of stimulating me, and there's this, this, this quote in the book, and I read it, I just felt like I wanted to share it with you, the church. That McManus writes this, the odd command was to take the arrow and strike it instead of shoot it. It seems to imply the focus on what God has placed in the king's hand. This, by the way, is the paradox of how God works in our lives. We shoot the arrow and recognize there are things outside our control, and we must strike the arrow and take responsibility for what is in our control. We are to shoot and to strike, but what we are not to do is stop. We are not to stop. And that's the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and Ruth. It's this don't stop fighting message. That God didn't bless them with some extraordinary way of connecting with him for, the, for many of the people in the Old Testament. He just said, stay faithful with what I've already given you. And so second question, it's in your bulletin. I would really love to stimulate conversations in your journals, with your friends, with people you came to church with. Second question I'll ask you is this. What does God want you to finish in 2019 by his strength? Because this is the extraordinary promise that when we just continue to do the things that God has already put in our hands, he will lead us to victory. And the king, I mean, he's... He's like doing it, but it doesn't make sense. Some of you are going through things right now that don't make sense. And when you start to make your own plan versus the ordinary obedience plan, we lose the revelation of God. Now, we have this power in us, this extraordinary promise that God walks with us and lives in us, and we're called to just continue to finish the things that he has put at our fingertips. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, we are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And so don't stop fighting. Keep moving towards Christ. 
Because following God isn't a final decision. It's a, it's a journey to take. It's a fight to undertake. Remember what Paul says to Timothy? One of his last letters before Paul left the earth. What did he say to this young protege? He said it. Fight the good fight. And I get it right now for a lot of us. Like, oh, you know, a lot of that fighting imagery is so like 2001. You know, I'm into more like journey. You know, but I, I, there are people in this room that are fighting for your very lives. There are people in this room that are fighting for hope, fighting for joy, fighting for faith. And I know you're in battles. And so the message comes through the text, don't stop. Don't give in to the hopeless thoughts that you may endure. Remember what Hosea the prophet says, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he'll appear and he'll come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains, the water, the earth. Don't stop. Because nothing stays the same. Nothing can stay the same. Remember what Robert Frost said, nothing gold can stay. There's, there's a myth of stasis that my faith will always stay good. My relationships will always be joyful. No, there's, there's a pursuit in the life of faith. Nothing stays. And we have this, this beagle puppy, and she's three now. It's a different sermon for a different day, but talk to me if you want a good deal on a beagle. No, we're not getting <laughs> But she was the cutest puppy she was. And so the puppy went missing one day. We checked the bed. We checked the other bed. We checked the table where she often jumps on and eats dinner off our plates. We, like, we couldn't see the puppy anywhere. We asked the four-year-old, have you seen the puppy? Nope. He said, something in his response was a little shady. <laughs> I said, son, take me to your room. And I could hear a little bit of whining. Lo and behold, we found the cutest puppy in the world, our little puppy scout, in his bedside table in the drawer. <laughs> puppy was fine. No puppies were harmed in the making of the sermon. I said, son, we don't lock puppies away. He said, I just wanted her to stay little. Nothing stays the same. And so may this year be marked in you of pursuit, of fighting the good fight, of saying, Jesus, what do you want me to finish that you've already put at my hands? Because remember, church, like this is what it's about, this, this pursuit. And he's calling more and more more people to join him in, in, in the field to, to fight the good fight. There's another parable, Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. These are long parables. I won't read them. Many of you have heard them. The gist of Matthew 20, parables in the vineyard, is it doesn't matter if you started at 8 or noon or 5, all will receive the same. They're rewarded for their participation, not the value of the work that they had accomplished. We are called deeper, further, fighting for more of Jesus, more of his love in us changing us as a church. And I think this kind of, remember fear one, a lot of us feel like we're too ordinary. This taps into another big fear for, for, for a lot of us. Our second fear is for some of us, we just worry we're too, we're too broken. I mean, we're just, you know, that, that, that works for you, Scott. Shoot an arrow, strike an arrow. Ah, not me. I'm too broken. Too, too big of sins from my past, too many sins in my present, too much hurt in my heart. This isn't my story. 
But this is what all of us are called to believe, that there's no safe way in the life of faith. All of us are called to active participation. Whether you showed up at the vineyard at eight or noon or five, all will receive. And some of your biggest mistakes in the end, nobody will remember if you continue to play. How do I know? Well, that football game where I had the score wrong and everyone else was kind of like trying to run out the clock and I'm like, let's, let's win. Turns out we were ahead. So this kind of shows you some of my football career. I happened to be cleaning out my office this week and I came up with this article from the final game. Remember, we had lost two years straight. We were going for three and six. This was a big deal. Sunned, lights up, pirates rally to edge the Simon Fraser Klansman. Remember what I told you, no one really remembers the beginning, they remember how you end. The Whitworth Pirates football team got its first home win in two years with a 22-20 victory, says the writer in the Spokane Spokesman Review against Simon Fraser on Saturday. It was the best of times and the worst of times. The writer of the Spokesman Review is quoting Dickens, that's lovely. <laughs> Whitworth wide receiver Scott Sun caught 14 passes for 216 yards and two touchdowns. But he also had three costly fumbles (laughs) and a host of dropped passes, says the writer of the article. I don't remember a host of dropped passes, maybe one or two, but a host and not just fumbles, costly fumbles. I found I just died laughing. I'm like, man, that writer's got like bitter soup, you know, like. Here is the conclusion. No one remembers how you begin. They won't. They always remember how you end. Always remember how you end. Whether you showed up at eight or noon or five, whether you accepted Jesus 40 years, like what matters is now. Who do you say Jesus is now? By how you serve, by how you give, by how you love. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. It doesn't matter the beginning. It matters right now and what Jesus is calling you further forward. You're not too ordinary. You're not too broken. Just allow Jesus to permeate you in ordinary obedience and just finishing the job he's already called you to. And remember, it's not the beginning. It's the end. The article also reminds me of something that's pretty incredible. Because in this game from 2005... I spent some of, the, some of the fourth quarter thinking we were behind and we were actually ahead. And then at the very end, I found out we were ahead and I was playing not to lose. I had a couple balls thrown to me and I would just catch them. Remember, it comes all those costly fumbles and they, they were costly. But we won the game. But I would catch the ball and I wouldn't even try to run anymore. I'm like, I'm so scared of making mistakes. I just don't want to make any more mistakes. I just fall on the ball. We got to the end of the game and they said, ah, oh, gosh, I wish you would have just, like, kept fighting, Scott. Because you were three yards short of the school record for yards in a game. It, a record that 20 years later would still hold. Nobody cares. Nobody cared then. Nobody cares now about football. What I care about is Jesus. And I care about the church. And I don't want to come to the end of my life and find myself three yards short because I stopped fighting. Because I just said, oh, you know, yeah, we're, we're you know, people have come and yeah, disciples are made. Like, we, no. I keep fighting. 
I don't want to get to the end and say just three more yards and a record would have happened. What is God calling you to finish? Where is God calling you to be ordinary? Where is God calling you to remember, finish well? Don't stop fighting. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time, this word. A really unique and kind of beautiful little story about shooting an arrow and beating an arrow and this reminder that God, you've already told us what to do to to continue to approach you. We don't earn anything, but we step into deeper and deeper relationship. It's all a gift. We're reminded this morning in communion. And so God, as we break the bread, as we dip the juice, may we be reminded of of the call to not stop the call to, to continue to fight. And Lord, we pray right now that your spirit is intersecting hearts in this room. There are battles for hearts and minds being fought in this moment. There are battles for marriages. There are battles for faith in you. God, there are people ready to walk out. There are battles for physical well-being and emotional and spiritual. Lord Jesus, God of heaven and earth, Will you reign now? May you encourage these men and women, young and old, to finish well, to make the most of the time that they've been given, to to fight and believe you're still calling them deeper and further to more of your grace and mercy. It's all a gift, God. It's all a gift, but we want to receive it. We know it's enough. Make this year one of extraordinary influence for this church and these individuals as they love and follow you. And all God's people said, amen. It's Communion Sunday, and as such, it's a perfect time to just remember, I'm not going to stop fighting. I, as your pastor, I'm not, I'm not going to stop fighting. As people come, as should not to stop fighting for more of his grace, more of his mercy. On the night of which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gluten-free in this case, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. And then he, he took the cup of the new covenant and he poured out for many for forgiveness of sins and I'm pretty sure what he said don't stop fighting don't stop fighting don't stop don't stop so when you approach this table it's a free gift for anyone that wants to follow Jesus come hungry and receive the bread and dip it in the juice And may you make a new promise to Jesus in the year ahead. We're not going to stop. Let me pray over our elements now. Lord God, thank you for Communion Sunday. Change this bread and juice to body and blood that we would receive your mercy again and again and again. Lord God, write these three words onto our heart this year. Don't stop fighting. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we sing. And our communion stations on the side and the front are open.